Hello everyone. My name is Asif Iqbal. Welcome to a brand new season of Hello Educator. To all the listeners who have been supporting us throughout the first season, thank you so much. Your feedback kept us motivated to reach out to more educators and record new episodes. To the first time listeners, thanks for dropping by. You can start with our podcast by listening to any episode. I hope you enjoy the show. On that note, let's delve into today's episode of Hello Educator. It was this morning assembly at a school and the entire 21 member delegation from India invited to that assembly. We heard Pakistani kids sing the Indian national anthem for us. In this episode, I chat with uh, Chintan Modi from Mumbai. Chintan is a writer, educator and a peace builder. He's also the founder of uh, Aao Dosti Kare, a friendship across borders, which is sort of a peace initiative done by him connecting people from India and Pakistan. That is also uh, evolving to address peace initiatives across uh, the borders within India. Chintan does a workshop for kids and teachers on peace education and uh, how it can be inculcated in their classroom. I happened to meet uh, Chintan in an education conference at uh, Vidyavan which is a tribal school located at Anekatti. It's a village near uh, Coimbatore. In this episode we discuss about peace education, Chintan's work with people in India and Pakistan. and other peace initiatives that could be inculcated in school education. Chintan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Asif. Uh, nice to be with you on this. The entire world uh, talks about peace. World peace seems to be the ultimatum. So, Chintan, what is peace in the first place? Well, peace has been defined differently by theorists and practitioners all over the world and even I I would say by spiritual traditions around the world. But when I think of peace, I don't really think of that state that we achieve which is somehow sort of final and eternal beyond which there will be no conflict i think of peace more as an approach or a way of dealing with challenges or uh, responding to conflicts so for example non violence to me would be an important part of ensuring peace definition by johan galtung mm-hmm. uh, who is also called the father of peace studies he makes a very interesting distinction between what he calls negative peace and positive peace so mm-hmm. negative peace would typically refer to the elimination of direct or physical violence an example would be putting down arms or and weapons coming to a point where two parties in conflict decide that there will be no physical violence there will be no killing there will be no harm to anyone's life or property that's one way of looking at peace okay. the other idea of peace what he calls positive peace mm-hmm. is more inclusive and is process rather than a conditional state that you can pictureize it's like process which includes uh, addressing discrimination exclusion exploitation uh looking at all the structures in society that mm-hmm. inhibit full participation for okay. various kinds of people mm-hmm. when you're just looking at you know people putting down weapons you're not really looking at violence that persists in society in other ways for example through gender based violence mm-hmm. or through caste discrimination or through racism 
the exclusion of um, LGBTQ people from participating fully in uh, society or embracing their whole selves. Addressing all of these things according to Daltung would also constitute peace and that's really the approach that I'm interested in because uh, what's the point of talking only about direct violence when we all experience violence like psychologically, culturally, socially in so many ways. Correct, yeah. You call yourself a, a peace builder, right? You're also involved in, uh, you know, peace education and things around that. What exactly is peace building? Uh, Who is a peace builder? The word peace builder comes from the field of peace building and conflict transformation. Peace is not something that is negotiated only by an agreement for people to put their weapons away. Peace is something that has to be consciously built and nurtured over time by various people who are involved in a space that is experiencing conflict. So peace building would involve acknowledging and addressing biases, prejudices, stereotypes, looking at the various reasons of conflict uh, that have persisted over time and what needs to be done for all parties to work towards changing that. And someone who is part of this process, who initiates and holds this process together, would be called a peace builder. The term peace educator, uh, again, is connected to the field of peace education, something that is still uh, in a nascent stage in India, at least formally. Peace education refers to the idea that education be consciously geared towards the goal of helping build peace, which doesn't mean that we have a separate uh, period on the timetable that says peace education and this is when people are going to learn about peace. It's more of an approach to how what we learn in school can be made relevant to things like living with diversity, making sense of contemporary events in the light of what it means to live in such a multicultural society. That's what being a peace educator involves. It's not really about telling people what Gandhi said or what Mother Teresa said or what... um, Martin Luther King said, yeah, that's important, but what's even more significant is to speak to what is meaningful for people right now in their own context. Chintan, you said that peace education is not something for which uh, an exclusive period has to be allocated in the classroom and all that. It sort of needs to be inculcated by teachers in you know, all classrooms of all subjects. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? In that sense, peace education is connected to teachers becoming reflective practitioners to consciously think about how is it that I am participating in the violence out there in the world. And by saying things which are partial to certain communities and portray other communities in negative light, am I doing enough to make sure that all children in my class feel safe and welcomed what are the kinds of examples and texts that I'm using? Mm-hmm. Do they uh, make each child feel that their presence in the classroom is equally respected and honored? Right. Those are things to really keep in mind. And uh, what I do is instead of lecturing on of all of these things, to create activities and games mm-hmm. when where teachers and students participate in these and through that they themselves come up with reflections and insights that are, that are tied to their own context. I think it would be terribly patronizing of me to assume what their contexts are. I don't really get to step into their shoes or in their classrooms. Right, right. right. So what I do is 
focus on creating opportunities for them mm-hmm. that make them think of how they could take back some learning to their classrooms based on what they've discovered about themselves during the time we spent together right let's go back in time um tell us about uh, your journey uh, into peace education how did it all start and also tell us about your uh, work in peace education when i was in first grade i wanted to be a teacher and that sort of like has been a consistent theme in my life wanting to be an educator has been something really significant to me what kind of educator has changed over time i tr- uh, i did my mphil in english language education and i taught english for a while at a school in mumbai during this process i got a chance to visit pakistan as part of the exchange for change program this okay. was organized by the citizens archive of pakistan and by roots to roots mm-hmm. uh, which is an ngo based in delhi mm-hmm. they brought together schools from Karachi, Mumbai, Delhi and uh, Lahore to be in contact with each other for a year. So children wrote letters to each other across borders. They made paintings, recorded uh, oral history interviews with grandparents. And all of this was done to really facilitate that connection between children across borders. At the end of that year, some children were selected to meet each other in person and actually like Indian kids went to Pakistan and Pakistani kids came to India. When they were looking for teachers from India to accompany the children, my name came up and that's how I went. This was in 2012. Okay. I had a really powerful experience there and I realized that I was privileged to have that experience. Not many Indians are going to be able to travel to Pakistan during their lifetime. Correct. And that privilege also made me aware of my responsibility. I thought, you know, how is it that I can use this experience of mine mm-hmm. to transform in some small but significant way the narrative around Pakistanis in India? There was this one particular moment from that trip that really stands out for me. It was this morning assembly at a school and the entire 21 member delegation from India mm-hmm. was invited to that assembly. We heard Pakistani kids sing the Indian national anthem for us Lovely. to welcome us and that was absolutely stunning, you know, uh, a country that you had been brought up to think of as enemy country uh, was now receiving you with their children singing your national anthem. It was absolutely unexpected and many of us were in tears when we experienced that. Right. Uh, the challenge for me was how to convey the love and hospitality that I had experienced in Pakistan back in India mm-hmm. when I was speaking it's not only in the school that I was working with mm-hmm. but also trying to go to other schools in India and share my experiences not by just giving a talk but also creating activities in the classroom where children and teachers could also share what their impressions were of Pakistan or what their questions were mm-hmm. before i would share what my experiences were really so that there would be some two way communication mm-hmm. and uh, it wouldn't look like you know i was some expert who had come to uh, talk down to them and tell them all the ideas that they had were wrong because they had not traveled to Pakistan and i knew what it was like because i had that okay. was not the approach i wanted to take okay i started thinking out a lot more opportunities to then be in dialogue with pakistanis uh, i got some of these through conferences and workshops mm-hmm. in 2014 as this initiative called friendships across borders okay the they see name how dosti kare 
okay. I started collecting stories of Indians and Pakistanis who had managed to not only form but also sustain their friendships with each other over a period of time mm-hmm. despite the political situation between the two countries. What I was really looking at at that time mm-hmm. was people not as something that diplomats do mm-hmm. but as something that people like you and me do every day by making a friend from a place a country a community that we are actively taught to hate mm-hmm. and i i need to look at how that kind of peace can be made through friendship by just about anyone right and the stories that i collected in this way then fed into the workshops that i was doing with children and teachers Well, the, the India-Pakistan focus always sort of stayed, mm-hmm. but uh, I also began to actively look at uh, caste, gender, sexuality, Correct. race, because uh, India-Pakistan is only one manifestation of the hatred that uh, human beings hold towards each other. There are so many other aspects of right. uh, violence that we need to address within our own country and our classrooms. Correct. That I felt like uh, my own journey as a peace educator needed to evolve. I found the need to also look at my own uh, stereotypes and biases. You know, it it may be true that I did not go to Pakistan expecting that I would be blown up by a terrorist, mm-hmm. but uh, I do have other kinds of stereotypes and prejudices. They are the way they are because of their experiences and their conditioning. Right. And our, you know, just assuming superiority does not help. You have now uh, collaborated with Prajnya on the Education for Peace initiative. Let's talk a little bit about that. A year ago, I was in Chennai to conduct full-day training program for Montessori teachers, mm-hmm. and the Montessori system is really explicitly geared towards education for peace. They even mention that in their curriculum. Okay. Uh, we were looking at how to connect that to things that are happening around us. You know, when we, it's very easy for teachers to talk about abstract ideals and values mm-hmm. that they want to see in the students. but it's more difficult to examine mm-hmm. these values uh, through the lens of our responses to happening to what is happening right now for example when the training was happening mm-hmm. the jalikattu agitation was happening in chennai okay and um, there were various responses to that based on you know people's sense of what tradition and tamil culture mean Correct. what caste identity is all about mm-hmm. you know oh, traffic is being held up kind of concerns yeah just like so many different ways of looking at the whole looking at the whole agitation and uh, in the north if we examine responses to what happened around the film padmavati the ways in which uh, people were responding to representation of uh, a queen that they thought was really significant to their narrative about who they were other debates around freedom of expression happening at that time what was important for us at prashnya was to see how teachers can engage with these debates because teachers do not teach in a vacuum i mean teachers do think about these things right. the students think about these things but somehow when we come to the classroom we assume that we keep the political parts of ourselves out mm-hmm. and we're just learning in a, a vacuum and that's not really true so we wanted to help them find ways in which they could facilitate these conversations in class mm-hmm. without getting children to imitate the teacher's mind or the teacher's expectation 
Right. It is important that children find a space where they can articulate safely what they feel. And once they have done that, then one can engage with it. But you know, giving them the impression that someone will pounce on them if they say what they really feel—that's not really the best way to go. So again, we created uh, some opportunities and activities through discussion, film screenings, and art activities. Teachers from different schools come together, okay. and we take them through an introduction to the national curriculum framework of 2005, which has a pretty strong component on peace education, and then begin from how can we. Uh, operationalize that, or how can we really bring that into practice at the school level? We look at ideas of some key educational thinkers around uh, peace education, and then we delve straight into activities where we examine what our personal understandings of peace are, how uh, we look at violence, whether it's direct violence, structural violence, or cultural violence. What are the various communication styles that we use in schools? You know, are we confrontational? Do we look at uh, meeting needs of everyone in a context? Are we communicating compassionately? What is the way in which we give feedback to students? What kind of uh, classrooms we create? Are they open enough for children to be themselves, mm-hmm. or do they promote fear? We look at. Uh, Examples directly from teachers' own in school environments. So teachers have an opportunity to talk about conversations that linger on in the staff rooms or their own direct connection with students and parents. So peer learning is a pretty strong component of our trainings because we don't assume that the facilitator alone knows how to sort out a problem. Okay. Teachers themselves bring so many, you know, rich experiences with them. Mm-hmm. and it's important for us to see how they can also learn from each other so we've been fed with movies like uh, border where uh, we see pakistan as our enemy it's always been like that throughout the childhood and unless you become an adult and think of them as uh, humans too later like when i uh, picked up photography and all that i used to google about uh, pakistan images where i i could see like beautiful landscapes of uh, karachi and the outskirts of uh, pakistan tell me uh, some of uh, your interesting experience uh, with respect to pakistan uh, of course you told children invited you with the uh, indian national anthem apart from that if there are any interesting incidents any similarities if you have anything like that uh, can you share yeah what would often happen uh, when i went to shops is that uh, people would give me discounts Or give me an additional something free, mm-hmm. and that would really annoy Pakistani friends because they said, you know, we are different. We don't get these special. We okay. don't get the special treatment. Why did you get that? <laughs> I remember once I was entering the National College of Arts in Lahore with a friend of mine, and the security guard just like made us sit down. And you know, I was wondering what's going to happen now. You look know, like. is he going to trouble me because i'm indian mm-hmm. but that didn't really happen he actually got uh, ice cream for my friend and me he said you know you've come from so far you've come from hindustan i can't <laughs> take you to my house because i don't live in the city and i live in a place where you don't have the visa for but mm-hmm. i can at least like treat you to ice cream this security guy did not even know me like there are so many people who pass through those gates every day right mm-hmm. but he chose to on a mean that special way what i did notice is that there's a tendency for educated people to imagine that hatred is spread by the those uneducated masses 
that's not really true i thought uh, people who had uh, you know like done extensive wide reading mm-hmm. were often more bigoted than people on the street i don't want to romanticize the poor or you know the uneducated that's clearly not my intention okay. what i'm really trying to do here is to uh, break out of our own preconceived notions that somehow you know like people like you and me are for peace and you know uneducated people are the ones who fall prey to religious extremism or to you know terrorist outfits so then brainwash them mm. so uh, i i i saw uh, like uh, warmth and affection from all quarters what i really also enjoyed is going to some of the monuments there mm-hmm. unlike in the where tourism happens to be slightly better developed than pakistan but often goes to monuments and has you know all these people running behind saying you know like by this or by that or uh, you know like not really letting you enjoy the place uh-huh. i found that almost entirely absent in pakistan because um, the government really hasn't put that much energy and effort into promoting tourism so most of the spaces were pretty empty okay and i could really uh, spend time relishing the architecture and the art that i saw there right. uh, i would be lying if i said that i did not feel unsafe at any point of time yes i did feel unsafe at some points of time okay and um, i think it's not about the people it's really more about security apparatus in both countries right like I understand. Um, yeah. There is so much of fear and anxiety on the part of the security establishment that anyone who goes there from here or anyone who comes here from there is subject to like intense scrutiny intelligence officials uh, you know sort of um, tracking you if you were in a delegation you being assigned some sort of security personnel who always follow you that yeah. can be really annoying but if you get past that there is so much to brace we talked about india pakistan on all that but there are very small uh, it might sound like a petty issue but it is it is an interesting conflict of interest that we have in, in india itself the north indian and uh, south indian divide how can we deal with that uh, or uh, how can a peace education help in that i think part of the problem also comes from the fact that we are, we are a very large country almost like a continent mainstream media tends to report everything from a delhi perspective which leads to a disconnect that people you know someone in in chennai or hyderabad or bangalore or madurai mysore or tiruvananthapuram um, might feel because the what is their reality might be very different from what's happening in delhi and it might seem almost like you know the colonial master dictating from their capital what ought to happen here then there's also this perception that a lot of the socio economic indicators of development are pretty low in uttar pradesh and bihar why do the southern states have to pay for you know their development yes. kind of yes. that kind of narrative has also been around for a while so i think these are legitimate concerns people want to make sure that their money is not taxpayers money is not wasted but how can we do something about this just the way we want to do stuff related to india and pakistan i think for one what we can do is to really examine what we mean by north and south the other is to look at how diverse the north and the south are there are so many i mean if you even if you look at just chennai right now since prajna is based in chennai i'm going to bring that up it's not only tamil speaking people who are living in chennai yes 
if one had to you know do a survey of the various languages that are being spoken in chennai the various communities that have migrated from elsewhere and made chennai their home one would actually come across a very startling picture of how chennai is not only a tamil city mumbai which you know earlier used to be hailed as this cosmopolitan hub but now is increasingly associated with the kind of high handedness that the shiv sena and the maharashtra navnirman sena have been known for mumbai is what it is because of diverse communities that have contributed to making it this you know people from everywhere coming and making it their home uh, bringing in their talents bringing in their spirit of entrepreneurship i think if we looked at diversity within that would be a great step the other is through field trips that schools can make possible I mean, when we learn about history, for example, can we organize our outstation field trips and excursions in such a way that we take them to a part of the country which we tend to have prejudices about? Right, right. It's definitely a lot easier to organize a field trip to another part of the country than to Pakistan, right? Right. The other thing that we could do is, if I could do Skype conversations between India and Pakistan, why can't we do Skype conversations between different cities in North India and South India? Yes, yes. And these do not have to even be based around culture and art or language. These could be as simple as two science educators or two math educators from different parts of the country talking to each other mm. and bonding over that shared identity. What mm. happens is that. we tend to focus so much on the differences that we have mm-hmm. that we forget that north indian or south indian is only a very tiny part of who we are correct there is so there's so much else that we share in common other than our passport right right, right. if we have one or our aadhar card for that matter <laughs> <laughs> you said you always wanted to become a teacher but then why peace education your background is in english and i know you have an mphil that area itself but why exactly do you want to do uh, peace education and uh, why did you have to take up certain big issues like you know connecting india and pakistan why did you have to do that of all the things in the world <laughs> wow so i don't think when i was in grade when i wanted to work on india pakistan issues right. yes there was always a curiosity about pakistan and when people would ask where would you like to go when you grow up i would say pakistan and adults tended to think of that as really funny or even weird because you know like why would you go to danger and go to a place where you might not come alive that was the response they would get but um, like more seriously um there were two very events uh, that I experienced as part of my growing up in 92 93 the riots happened in mumbai i was i think in grade 2 or 3 back then okay. and that really pushed me into encountering religious divides between hindus and muslims mm-hmm. then the other significant incident was genocide in gujarat right after the burning of the train that happened in godra mm-hmm. this was when i was transitioning from school to college both in events uh, were pretty significant for me i think though i may not have been thinking consciously about them somehow that was a part of my um, that was always there in, in the background for me even when i was an english teacher i would think of you know what can i do in order to 
um, spark off conversations related to important issues that matter. Thankfully, language classrooms do enable that because so much of what you're doing is communication skills, right? And that can happen around various things, including issues of contemporary relevance. Okay. Before I did the rem, uh, uh, like just after I did the rempel that you mentioned, well, actually, let me tell you what I did as part of the rempel. Uh, as part of the rempel, my fieldwork was actually involved in developing and uh, facilitating a creative writing workshop in Dungri. It's one of those um, uh, notorious neighborhoods in Mumbai, mm-hmm. low-income Muslim neighborhood in Mumbai. Okay. I. found this amazing medical doctor who ran a library for children okay from schools in the summer vacation he offered me a space to conduct writing workshop with them okay and the writing workshop was such it was not about you know this is the topic i'm telling you what to write about it mm-hmm. it was students from different schools coming together and envisioning what it would be like to create a community magazine mm-hmm. where they decide what to write about And okay. I also coached them in giving peer feedback to each other. Okay. So as soon as that after that experience happened, mm-hmm. I encountered what's called the Kabir Project. It's housed at the Srishti School of Art, Design and Technology in Bangalore. Okay. That was really you know sometimes you don't plan things. I mean you know how did I end up doing something? I don't really know. I can see connections only in hindsight. And the Kabir project was built around the mystic poetry of Kabir, the 15th century guy that we study about in Hindi textbooks, but also um, more broadly situated in the wisdom of oral traditions and the people like uh, Mira Bai, Bolesha, Basavanna, uh, Amir Khosro, mm-hmm. or if one has to look at uh, similar figures from the south, say Akka Mahadevi or Andal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I mentioned Basavanna earlier. So they, we have had a strong tradition in the Indian subcontinent of these uh, wanderers, seekers, uh, you know, bhakti and Sufi poets, mm-hmm. provided a way of looking at social divides through a critical lens. That's both political and spiritual at the same time, and I think that somehow really captured my imagination. Though I grew grew up in a Jain family, mm-hmm. uh, I have consciously pushed myself to explore various faith traditions and spiritual paths. I have not consciously integrated into it into my peace education work. That for me has been a significant inspiration. Okay, you know how is it that peace education be thought of not as something that you know comes to us from the Western intellectual landscape, but as something that's really homegrown that's existed in our midst for. A long, long time. Maybe not in our classrooms in the same way, mm-hmm. but certainly part of the air that we breathe through the traditions that we've had. Mm-hmm. And how can we build on that rich legacy so that peace education doesn't become only political work, but also, but also inner work? Okay. Because if you know, I go out there saying that, hey, I want to reform everyone, and I'm not willing to look at my own self and the kind of things that I need to. Transform within. Mm-hmm. It would be totally meaningless as an educator. While teaching English, um, I think these thoughts sort of began to acquire uh, more significance. The school I was with uh, allowed me to teach not only Eng- English but also this uh, program called personal development, mm-hmm. which basically was fancy term to uh, refer to conversations and sessions that I could have with children around. Uh, 
issues that they could not discuss at home with their parents or with other teachers okay this could be around uh, bullying around uh, gender and sexuality also of things like fear what it means to study in a covid school mm-hmm. how do we look at death conversations that are not typically part of the everyday and i think it was pretty natural for me to then take those experiences my own visit to uh, pakistan and then see you know what could i do where could i be relevant mm-hmm. how can i bring all my skills together because uh, though i was teaching i was also i've also been writing as a freelance journalist in the last 15 years mm-hmm. and that has also informed what i brought to the classroom i just needed to find a container to bring all of my interests together and let's see where that exploration could take me and also the people i was working with that's how i began to think of myself as a peace educator thank you so much chintan it was a pleasure talking to you okay thank you so much i enjoyed this i hope uh, there was uh, something of value in what i shared because uh, it was also very on the spot right like yes. it was not planned so yeah. well that was chintan modi peace educator chintan does uh, workshops for uh, schools and school teachers on how to incorporate peace education in their classroom He has written articles explaining the activities that can be done in the classroom for kids can be used by all of us. We have linked those articles in the show notes. I've read almost all of them. They are just brilliant. I'm sure uh, it will also help you out. You can also directly reach out to him uh, via social media and uh, we have linked that also in our uh, show notes. This conversation with Chintan opened up a few things for me. Being a budding educator, my primary focus was on the subject and uh, pedagogy with which I can effectively impart uh, knowledge and uh, wisdom to the children. Uh, now I've started uh, thinking how I can include peace education when designing courses itself. Can it be a permanent part in designing any curriculum? This is sort of my takeaway from this discussion. How about you did you like the episode share it on the comment section or email us at uh, hello@theratofthemango.co i would be very glad to read what you think hello educator podcast is produced by mango education and the hello educator theme is composed by kartikeyan kc who's also the editor of all of our podcasts you can follow us on uh, soundcloud at soundcloud.com/slash Hello Educator. Visit us at themango.co forward slash hello educator. Please do subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you mail once in a month. As always, thanks a ton for listening to this episode. Please do share it with your friends. This is Asif Iqbal signing off. Happy Independence Day. Have a wonderful day ahead. Bye.